You should just, okay, we good? All right. But he brought me in his love for me. Free at last, free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he chosen. 
morning, church. How's everyone doing? Good morning, everybody. I'm going to let you have a seat for a minute. I'm uh, Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And so I want to just explain again uh, something that we do. So every time we do a new sermon series, uh, we've been changing up our, our room environment a little bit, making it look a little bit different. We believe that reflects the creativity of God in some way. Uh, so when we put this together, uh, we put this up. Uh, the idea of, of what's called raising a banner came to my mind. So when you think about a banner, I just want to explain that for a minute. That's what a military would put out in front. They would put up some kind of symbol on a piece of fabric, raise it up high, and there was a symbolism that went with that banner, that whatever was on that banner was what was going to happen to the opposition. So when the Romans sacked Jerusalem, one of their banners was an eagle banner. And the, the reason behind that is they said, when we've slaughtered you, the eagles will eat you. There was a, a symbolism behind that banner. And so when you come to the scripture, it says that there's banners raised to God, or even a banner that God would raise. So Psalm 20, verse 5, says, May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners, and may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. So one of the banners that gets raised is the banner of prayer. So what we've put on these banners is we've put the prayer from the book of Colossians that we're going to be studying for the next several weeks. We've put the prayer that the Apostle Paul gave for the church at that time. So this is something I want us to get into this routine of praying this prayer, especially throughout the entire month of January. So we talk about uh, like a new year. We talk about different prayer emphasis. So we're not giving you a guide or anything like that this year. I just want to give you Colossians 1 because take a look at it. In just a minute, we're going to stand up and we're going to read it. But imagine if God did some of those things here. Think about the possibilities. It would be a wonderful thing. So let's begin our service by praying this prayer together. We're going to stand and read it together. I put it on the screen for you just in case you can't see. Uh, you know, your line of sight is obstructed a little bit. But this way you've got it here. So we're going to read the first verse together and then the prayer starts at the second sentence here. So let's read this together. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now here's the prayer. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wouldn't it be awesome if God did those things here? That we would know that to our core? So we're going to worship the God that says those things can happen today. So I encourage you to join in and raise your voices today.
Good morning again. I have to say, first service was, they were kicking it. They were loud, and usually it's the opposite. Um, that's my challenge this morning to you. I said something in the first service about, um, as worship leaders, we try to pick songs and we try to um, come in unison and pick songs that uplift the name of Jesus, that glorify his name, that we are talking about him and not ourselves. But the first song that we sang today, 
it's been on my heart all week. And I said, I think we need to do this song. I, 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 I kind of was hesitant about it because it's talking about us. And sometimes when we talk about us, we're focusing on too much on us. But there's huge promises in this song that I think if we can grasp and we carry it throughout our week, man, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I am a child of God and yes, I am. The bridge says, I am chosen, I'm not forsaken. I am who you say I am. This is big. You are for me and not against me. I am who you say I am. Let's sing this song this morning together as a church. You get one more chance at this song. <laughs> who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in his love. grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he
song should be familiar to you. come, they're going to take our tithes and offerings, and when they come, I wanted to share with you the scripture, I think it was behind that song that Abby talked about, it's from John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
Did you catch it? If you believe in Christ, you have faith in him, he gives you the right. Not an option, not a moment, but a right to become a child of God. We've got to let that sink in. That's not by our own doing. That is by the will of God. Let it soak in. He is who you say you are, church. Let me pray that over us. Jesus, we're in our culture. Um, I think we get caught up on what our rights are. We think as Americans, these are our rights. But our right as Christians is different. It's not the same thing. So God, let the right that you purchased on the cross to become children of God, let that right sink in. Let us realize what that means. God, I ask that for our church, that you will ask be people that are centered in that, that through faith we become your children, not for a moment, not when it's just needed, but a complete identity change. So would you root that in us today? I pray in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, I'm going to have uh, Angelo come and join me here for just a minute. So you guys know Angelo D'Amato, right? All right. It's awesome. So we have a, a day today uh, that we're moving um, some classes around for a move up Sunday. So uh, I figured it'd be better for you to hear it from Angelo than for me. So take it away. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, with our sixth graders moving up into youth ministry, especially this Wednesday, um, we're going to be changing our structure around for treasure seekers to be first through fifth grade. And we're going to be changing the class structures as well to have a first and second grade class and third through fifth grade class. I believe this is just to be in line with their development and just to better lead your kids. Um, so with that, we have kids on a mission today. So those class structures will start next week, but today they'll all be together for Kids on a Mission. So, thanks. All right, kids. So let's follow Angelo. He's walking down the aisle. He's going to take you with him. The kids are going to come back and join us for communion in a little while. So kids, first through fifth grade are dismissed. For everybody else in the room, I would like you to open your bulletin and pull out that fantastic piece of paper that has all the Truth for Living courses on it. All right, so go ahead. Everybody do that right now. Let's tune in. Grab that insert out. I'm going to give you just a moment here to uh, fill out that Connect card or to sign up online uh, for one of our Truth for Living classes. So one of those courses is Alpha. Uh, that's starting here in about 10 days. Uh, so we have the Alpha course that's coming up. Uh, I wanted to make sure you knew about that. We also have a course uh, called uh, Financial Peace University. So we want to make sure that you're aware of that. And then Art and Frank are leading their two-year uh, study through the Bible called Aspire. So I want to let you know that that's there. So I'm going to give you literally two minutes to look that over and to choose a course. My goal for our church in Leading Truth for Living is that 50% of our church over 2019 would take a course. So I think we could probably hit that 50% right now in January. So I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to do that. You can fill out your Connect card and you can give it to me afterwards out here. Uh, or you can go to lfachurch.org info and you can sign up for your course today. Uh, so I'm going to give you two minutes starting now.
So you can start filling out that Connect card, or you can jump online here, lfhs.org slash info. You can sign up for your course. Uh, let's take care of that, get that done today, because many of these courses start next week. Uh, I have a couple of things to also remind you about today is we have a ministry here in our church called Celebrate Recovery. So at the end of the month, they're having an open house. So in case you don't know, Celebrate Recovery is for anybody that has a habit, a hurt, or a hang-up. So that's everybody. <laughs> right? So, so Celebrate Recovery is open to anybody that would like to process those things and, and get on a course to healing and restoration. So if you want to find out more about that, you can come to the open house on the 29th. Uh, you may have saw out here in the lobby a place to drop off unwanted prescription medications. Uh, so we've partnered with the police department to do that. So if you brought those with you... Um, just nobody freak out if you see anybody with them, all right? Let's not make it weird. It's an opportunity to get rid of them at church today. So I know that's a strange combination maybe for some. So letting you know that that's happening. So um, new year, we have a lot of new people here on a regular basis. So as I look around the room, I don't know everybody that's here, um, which is a beautiful thing for us as a church. So um, we want to make sure that people get known and get an opportunity to say hi. So uh, we're going to do that awkward thing called a greeting for like a whole two minutes um, so if it's awkward for you, please know it only lasts two minutes, and it literally is two minutes. So can you stand up with me? All right, and then we're going to take a minute, you greet those around you, run across somewhere. So your two minutes starts now. Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Greg. Please have a seat. It was kind of fun getting to watch that from this perspective. Some of you were like, yeah, hug people, say hi to people. And others are like, how long is this, two minutes? Just so you know, a little reminder, start of the year, our job here is to not make you comfortable. So we do that just to, like, 
make sure that that's clear for everybody. So I, um, I started my uh, journey with reading pretty slow. I was not a good reader as a kid. Uh, kind of struggled. Uh, you can ask my mom the, the hours upon hours uh, that she tried to invest in my reading. But I started with the classics. So I really caught into, got into reading by getting into the classics like the Gary Larson Farsides and the comics or Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. Like those were, actually those were very helpful. I actually like, I think the length of them really helped me, you know, the three, four words, like I can get that. But eventually I started to enjoy reading uh, and I started to read different types of literature. And one of my favorite series is by J.R. Tolkien. Um, and uh, the one is The Hobbit, and then he has the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie. Anybody seen the movie, Lord of the Rings? If you have a, you know, a free nine and a half, ten hours, uh, you, can, you can grab those. Uh, but the movies are actually pretty good representations of the, of the book, I think. And so uh, I really like the, the Lord of the Rings. So if you don't know the story, let me give you a little, a little picture of it. The Lord of the Rings and the first book is The Fellowship of the Ring. And so they have this ring that they determine needs to be destroyed, that there is this evil power threatening Middle Earth. And so uh, this group of people from all over Middle Earth, they come together and they have this, oh, there it is. They have this council, right? They have this great council of what are we going to do about this ring and about this evil power that is uh, threatening our lives. And so they determine uh, what they're going to do about it at this at this council, and so they're going to have this uh, this this secret uh, group, the Fellowship of the Ring, is going to leave uh, and in kind of a, a clandestine way find their way into Mordor to have the ring destroyed behind enemy lines, which is the only place that the ring can be destroyed. Right, so they determine that at this particular meeting, and and the hero of the book is a hobbit named Frodo. The hobbits are like very small people, not very threatening people, and uh, he ends up being the leader of this particular this particular fellowship, right? So they're having this great exit from this council to to launch this epic adventure, right? So all, like all the peoples of Middle Earth have come together. They're sending them out with all of their hope for the future resting on Frodo and his ability to lead this fellowship. And, and so they send him out, and in the movie it captures this very cool scene as they send him out and he's leading and he gets out of the gates of the council and he turns to Gandalf, who's kind of his, uh, his, his guide, and he's like, hey, Gandalf, um, is Mordor to the right or to the left? Right, so it's kind of this funny moment that in the middle of this this huge decision in the middle of this, this epic battle, he has to make a very, a very small decision, right? He has to make a, uh, he has to choose, do I, do I take a step to the right or do I take to a, a step to the left? And, and really, this is the duality that we live in all the time, that we live in this, this theme, this dual theme of there's things that are huge that we have to understand, that are epic, that, that, we are, that, that we are part of, yet at the same time it collides with what is intensely ordinary and what is, what is very common. 
So in our relationship with God, we, we have to think of both of those things, that there's a, there's a grandeur of, of what is our relationship to the God of all creation and what is our identity in him and, and what is the end of this great story that God has been unfolding and, and we get to be part of. So that's the, the bigness of God. But then at the same time, we've got to answer the question, do I take out a, a loan in order to buy a new car or do I pay with cash Dave Ramsey style? Right, like we've got to answer very practical questions like that. Like what, you know, what, what, what should I get for, uh, what should I get my wife for Christmas, right? So at the same time that we have to be part of and connected to this, this great grand story, we also have to be very present in the smallest moments of life. And God resides in both of those spaces. God resides in the big, God resides in, in the huge, but God also resides in the small. God is, part of, God is part of every moment. So we need God and we need to know God as above all things. And we also need to know God as in every moment, right? So the book of Colossians very uniquely describes this tension of the greatness of God in the smallness of moments. So that's why we're gonna be studying this book. So as we start 2019, uh, we're gonna start it by studying the book of Colossians. We're gonna be in Colossians for about four months so I would encourage you, be reading this book. Read ahead. Spend some time. We actually have a Bible study on Tuesday mornings uh, that studies through the passage we'll be preaching the next day. Another one that's doing it on Wednesday mornings, same thing. But I encourage you, get into the Bible, get into God's word, uh, and be studying ahead as we learn about the unique gift of this particular letter that is written by the Apostle Paul. Because our goal here is to be trained. Our goal is to be trained uh, by the Holy Spirit. Actually, the same way that the Holy Spirit equipped the church of Colossians, we want the Holy Spirit to equip us. And the way the Holy Spirit equipped uh, that church was through the leadership of the Apostle Paul. And the way the Holy Spirit is going to equip us is through the leadership of the Apostle Paul as we read and as we study the letter uh, that he wrote. And we're gonna see that God here is not distant or aloof, right? Isn't that, a, isn't that a frustration that you have sometimes where you just feel like God is, God is too far away and you, and you need God, like, God, well, what about this little moment? So we need to learn that God isn't just big and grand. He's also very close. But there's times where you feel like you can't just, just have God as close, right? Like if you were in a war, if you're in a battle, and there's people that are being injured and the leadership over you is just tending to all the injured people, you'd say, well, that's, that's really nice, but are we gonna win this thing? Like, is there anybody thinking big picture? Right, so we need to learn God as above all things and God as in every moment. Now, as we go through the book, we're gonna be hitting lots of information about um, the church of, Col of uh, the, the group of people, the Colossians, which is in the city of Colossae. All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna learn about that. You're gonna get a little bit more historical background, uh, but just so you know, this city is in what is modern day Turkey, right? So you can see there's, uh, there is Italy there, and then you have Greece, what is modern day Greece here, and then you have what is modern day Turkey, and in there uh, is the city of Colossae. All right, so we'll be finding out more about this, but the purpose of, uh, the purpose of this letter 
to the church at Colossae is that we would learn that Jesus is above all things and in every moment. I love that. We're gonna be trained in that over these months, that we would get to know God like, like that. And so this morning, we're just gonna look at two verses, the first two verses of the book, which is Paul's, uh, which is Paul's introduction to the letter. And as we look at these two verses, uh, we're gonna see how Paul, in his introduction, sets us up for learning about Jesus this way, that we would get to know Jesus, who's above all things, uh, and in every moment. So if you would, I would ask that you stand up with me uh, as I read these first two verses. Actually, why don't you join me and let's read it together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So Jesus, I'm asking that just like the Colossians were trained by the word of God revealed to them through the apostle Paul, we too will be trained by the word of God revealed to us through the letter the apostle Paul has written under the influence of your Holy Spirit because that same spirit is alive today, is alive in this space. And so I pray that you would open our eyes, open our understanding, open our affections, to be ruled and governed by your voice. So thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So in order for us to be trained to believe that Jesus is above all things and in every moment, uh, Paul establishes four foundations, four things that we really, we, we got to know uh, four foundations that we've, we've got to know that set us up for being trained to know Jesus as above all things and in every moment. And so we're gonna see these four foundational truths uh, right here at the beginning of the book in Paul's introduction. And so here's the four truths that we'll be talking about over the next few minutes. Number one is who are you going to learn from? You've gotta know who you're gonna learn from. Second, you gotta know who you are. And third, you gotta know who your family is. And then fourth, you gotta know what the point of all of this is. Like, where is all of this, where is all of this going? All right, so point number one, uh, who are you going to learn from? This comes right out of uh, verse number one. So today, when you were, if you were to write a letter, which, you know, that's kind of a lost art, but if you were to write a letter, or uh, if you were to write an email, uh, you typically would like address it to someone and then at the end of the letter, it's from someone else, which it cracks me up when I get texts like that, you know, like bop, 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 from mom. Yeah, I know, it came with the, the name on it, right? So like, so like we do that, you don't really do that in text, but in emails and letters, you would say this is to someone, it's from someone else. Well, in first century, at the beginning of the letter, you wouldn't wait to the end to say it. At the beginning of the letter, you would let them know uh, who is the sender uh, and then who's the recipient, and then there would be a greeting. So that's a typical, uh, that's a typical uh, introduction by Paul. Paul wrote 13 uh, of our New Testament books. There's 27 books. He wrote 13 of them. All 13 are letters. And so he starts out with this basic framework in each one of those 13 letters where he gives who it's from, it's from Paul, and then in this case, 
also Timothy. Uh, sometimes it's different people that are working with him that the letter is from. And then he says who it's to, and then some sort of greeting that goes along with the greeting. So with this one, one of the things that Paul emphasizes right from the beginning uh, is that he uh, is an apostle. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus, right, by the will of God. Now, you might say, well, what is an apostle? An apostle has two meanings, and I think both of the meanings of apostle are relevant here. Uh, first is the, uh, the apostle is the office of apostle, and second is the gift of an apostle. So the office of an apostle uh, was unique to the first century, where there was an office of, of those that Jesus had ministered to, and then he sent them out. They were the apostles. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus. These are primarily the writers of the New Testament, so they have this certain level of authority, right, as the apostolic witness. So they were witnesses uh, of Jesus. And so as you know, Paul wasn't one of the 12 original disciples, but Jesus met him in a very profound way uh, shortly after his ascension uh, as Paul was directly opposing him. So he had this personal interaction and he is considered one of the original apostles, right? So he had uh, the, the office of an apostle. But not only did he have the office of an apostle, he had the gift of an apostle. He had apostolic gifting. So this is a gift that Jesus gives to the church. Ephesians reminds us that Jesus gave certain gifts. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, right, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So this is a spiritual gift that is given to the church to encourage and build up the body of Christ. The gift of apostolic ministry is still given is still given today. So what apostolic ministry is, is when someone would have a tendency or a gifting to move into new areas, right? They would get into new areas of the world. So when we bring in a lot of our, our missionaries that are from North and Central Asia, they're doing apostolic ministry. They're going into regions of the world where the gospel is not known. They're starting new works. And then what you do in apostolic ministry is you get into new regions, you get into new areas, and along with you, you have a, uh, like a leadership team and you're developing various leaders so that if your ministry is apostolic, you're not gonna stay in one place very long. You're gonna take that hill and then move on to the next one. But you wanna leave trained leaders right behind. So Timothy, and in the, in, in the example of the church uh, of Colossae was um, Epaphras, those were the leaders Paul had trained and then left in those, various, uh, in those various areas. Paul went on three different missionary journeys. He evangelized essentially the Roman world, right? So this is, a, this is a gifting of Paul. And so he would go into those regions and he would leave behind, uh, he would leave behind a, very, a, a different pastor. So this letter is written because Paul's currently in prison. Epaphras comes to visit him and gives him a report on how the church at Colossae is doing. Well, most likely Paul's in Rome, uh, but that's kind of up for debate. But we know he's in prison. We find that out at the end of this, at the end of this letter. So Epaphras comes and says, hey, Paul, this is what's going on. Paul hears about the stuff that's happening in the city and then writes this letter in response to the report given to him from Epaphras. And I would think Epaphras, as the local pastor, is saying, hey, I need some help addressing this. You know, can you bring your voice 
you know, to speak into these situations. And just so you know, this is not dissimilar than the structure that, that we have here. We have uh, a plurality of elders, of pastors uh, at the church. Uh, I'm the pastor of our pastors, but I also have a pastor over me. Uh, actually, I got an email from him this morning between services. His name's Bob Riconda. He's not part of our church community, just like Paul wasn't part of uh, the church at Colossae, right? But he is over me. He looks out for me. He uh, invests in my life. He checks in and sees... Uh, he sees how I'm doing, right? So, but what we find out by Paul, uh, Paul in writing this, what does he tell them? So Paul is letting them know at the very beginning, this is Paul, I'm an apostle, right? And as if that wasn't leverage enough, he's an apostle based on what? What does it say here? By the will of God. I mean, you know, what? can anybody argue with that? I'm an apostle by the will of God. What, you got anything to say about that? Right, so like this is by the will of God. When Paul says he's there, he's an apostle by the will of God, what he's saying is that the God of all creation, the God who, uh, the God who foreknew, the God who called, the God, who, the God who's been working since, since the, the beginning of time to fulfill his redemptive purposes, his will has chosen Paul for this ministry to accomplish God's purposes. That's a really big deal, right? So Paul says, my ministry among you as an apostle is in line with the redemptive work that God has been doing before time began. Like he's really laying it on thick here. Like he's making sure they know that he has authority to speak into their lives. So make no mistake, Paul is definitely playing the authority card here. He's making sure that they are aware of, of before he speaks anything to them, that he has authority to speak into their lives. I think what Paul is doing is something very similar to this. He's saying, church, listen up. The single most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus. What you believe about King Jesus determines everything else in your life. And I am positioned uniquely to speak authoritatively about King Jesus. So listen to what I have to say, right? So Paul is calling them to follow his leadership. So is Paul really credible? Well, let me say this. Next to Jesus, Paul towers over all other first century church leadership, right? I disagree with my Catholic brothers here where they say it's about Peter as the most dominant figure. Nope, it was Paul. 13 of our 27 books written by the apostle Paul. Paul was the one uniquely positioned by God to bring the message of a Jewish Messiah that came to the, the nation of Israel and Paul was positioned to translate that to a Gentile world. So if you know anything about the apostle Paul, apostle Paul was trained by Gamaliel as a Pharisee. That is like he was you know, in the Ivy Leagues in terms of Jewish culture. Like there was no better educational opportunity for him as a Jew than to be trained by this man. And Paul was top of his class, right? He was a, he was a leader among leaders within Judaism. 
right? So he was excelling in the Jewish world. But Paul didn't grow up, right? Paul didn't grow up in Israel. He was Paul of Tarsus. So he grew up in a city outside of Israel. He was also a Roman citizen. So Paul was able to know Greek culture. He was able to navigate the Roman world with ease. There were times where he got into trouble and he said, oh, I'm a Roman citizen. And then they had to, you know, release him from whatever struggle he happened to be in at that point. Right, so, so Paul leveraged these two things to accomplish the purposes that God had called him to do. If you ever read the book of Romans, the book of Romans is, a, I believe, the best systematic theology that explains how the, the work that God has been doing among the nation of Israel is for all people and that the work of Jesus isn't just localized to one ethnic group, but he's actually fulfilling the promises to Abraham, which is that through your line, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Paul got that unlike any other New Testament writer and was able to translate that message across the Roman world. Today, today in church history is a significant day. You know what we celebrate today? Three Kings Day. Another way of saying that is Epiphany, right? So what is this day? This is the day that I'm sorry to disrupt your little manger scenes that are so peaceful with the wise men there. They weren't there, sorry. The wise men came, and we don't know that there were three. We know that there were three gifts. Sorry, keep spoiling the Christmas story. But so, so the wise men came, but what's significant about that is these were the first people outside of the Jewish culture to bow before King Jesus. They were the first ones to, to recognize that Jesus wasn't just king of the Jews, he was king of all creation, right? So we celebrate that Paul understood that and he was uniquely positioned to, to teach it. So when I say to you, what is most important for you is what you believe about Jesus, you need to know who is a credible witness that you can learn from so you can get to know King Jesus. And I submit to you, there's none better than the Apostle Paul. He is top of the list. My favorite happens to be the Apostle John, but there's none better than the Apostle Paul that you can submit to his writing and look at what does he tell you about King Jesus. So as we look at the book of Colossians, and that's why I'm encouraging you, study it. You need to know how great how grand, but also how close is King Jesus. And the way that you can do that is following the authority of the Apostle Paul. So the first thing we need to know is we need to know who we're going to learn from. The second thing we need to know is who you are, who you are. You have to know who you are. So with Paul as our teacher, as Paul as our guide, the one from whom we will learn Jesus, after he introduces himself to the church or to us, after he introduces himself to the church, he then introduces the church to themselves. Look at what he says in verse, in verse two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, to the saints. He names them as saints. Now, let's be clear, this isn't the New Orleans saints. 
Let's be clear, this isn't people who have been canonized for having lived a holy life and, and done a miracle. That's not what we're talking about. That's not the picture of a New Testament saint. We use, we use saint kind of commonly, right? Somebody does a good thing, you're like, oh, you're such a saint. That's not what we're talking about here. Saint is not about, um, saint is not verified based on behavior, right? So when we think New Testament saint, I want you to think they are a saint by position, not by degree of holiness. And it even says here, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, right? So their sainthood is based on their proximity to Jesus, because Jesus in the New Testament is the one that creates saints. You don't create saints. I don't create saints. Only in relationship to Jesus can we move from sinner to saint. It is by his appointment. And I want you to see here is that the sainthood is lived out in a certain proximity. You see that? It's to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. They are saints in Christ and faithful at Colossae. They are saints in Christ and faithful in Vineland. They are saints in Christ and faithful as public school teachers. They are saints in Christ and faithful in whatever location God has planted his people. So he calls you to live in this duality of being in Jesus Right, being in Christ, but living out that holiness in a certain locale, in a certain place. More important than our physical location is our spiritual proximity to Jesus. In Christ is only used two times in the book of Colossians, 33 times in all of Paul's writing. But the phrase, in Christ Jesus our Lord, occurs 48 times in this book. Like Paul wants us to get that we are in Christ Jesus. He is our Lord. We have been moved from the kingdom of darkness, which says it right up here in the prayer that, that we read earlier. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son, right? We've been brought into a new kingdom. And so we are saints because of our relationship to him, because of the new kingdom we have been brought into. We've got to know our identity as saints. So right after Paul says, this is who I am, he says, this is who you are, and you are saints. Now, sadly, what we typically do culturally is we don't draw our identity from our creator, right? That's what happened all the way back in the garden, and it's been happening ever since, is we say no to our identity bestowed on us by our creator, and we say yes to an identity bestowed on us by each other. And what that leads to is we end up living lives either of, of, of deep shame or inordinate pride. Because, because I'm on a ladder, and on this ladder, there's always some people that are above me. And if somebody's a little bit better than me, then that's shameful for me. Right, that my life doesn't really have as much value as theirs because they're further along in whatever it is. They preach to congregations that are much larger than this one. Right? They have thousands come to the altar after they preach. 
right? So, so there's somebody a little bit higher, right, above that I would say, oh, then my life is, is small. Or it goes the other way. I can look and say, well, there's some people that are a little bit below me, therefore I'm doing okay. Right, so we find our identity in relationship to other people as opposed to our relationship with the creator. And this trap leads to pride or to despair. I'm either, either winning or losing based on how I measure according to other people. And what does that lead to? That leads to belief that my life is either significant or insignificant based on my performance measured by comparison to somebody else. What a pathetic, exhausting way to live. And God is saying, isn't it? In Christ, you are saints. But yet we live exhausted comparing ourselves to other people. It is like we're living a script written by a different person, not written by our creator. My, my son, for his 16th birthday this year, did a, uh, a mafia murder mystery. And it was the most eclectic event I've ever seen. So what he did for his mafia murder mystery is every person that was invited was given a, a script that they were to follow. And the, like, the people that were, like the, the characters he chose had no rhyme or reason. So we had uh, Captain Crunch was there, as well as Gaston, uh, as well as Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Like there was no connection to these characters. So each person had to interact throughout the night based on their script based on their character. So uh, actually, Angelo was Steven Tyler, so he's the lead singer for Aerosmith. So what he had to do was during the birthday song, he just took over and his falsetto just rocked that happy birthday song. It's worth hearing if you can get your, if you can get your hands on it, right? But what they had to do was live according to an identity written by Jude. Jude wrote their script. They had to live that out. And tragically... We do the exact same thing. We let the world around us, we let formative influences from our childhood write a certain script that we live according to. Let me, let me tell you two scripts that, that I've heard people, people wrestling with just in the last couple of weeks. This one person I was talking to had been dealing with a conflict while they were working like in ministry and something beautiful had happened, yet they were really frustrated and, and, and they, they, like, it was really hard for them. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, why would this, this should be a point of celebration, like high five, that was amazing, but instead you're, you're angry. And as we talked, I realized the reason they were angry is they had a certain script and that script had, had written their identity. And this was their identity. They said, I believe that I am a piece of S-H-I-T. That's what I fundamentally believe about myself. So in everything I do, right, so you give me a compliment, I can't receive that because I'm a piece of S-H-I-T. Right, or, or everything I touch, every, everything I interact with is going to be broken. It's going to be distorted because of my identity. I talked with somebody else and their identity was one of shame. They were shameful. They were disgusting. That's what they believed about themselves. 
So if somebody said, listen, I, I love you, I care about you, you can't. I'm, I'm shameful, I'm disgusting, I can't, I can't receive that. Right? So every decision they would make would be out of this identity or this script that was written for them. So instead of turning to King Jesus and say, Jesus, tell me who I am, we turn to each other and we allow each other to write scripts intentionally or unintentionally that guide all of our decisions. Because your behavior flows out of your identity. Your destiny is a result of your sense of identity. So we have no hope for the future. We have terrible decisions that we're making because... We fundamentally get it wrong. We miss what Paul says in like the first, you know, six, seven words of the book, that we are saints in Christ Jesus. So what I want you to know is sin is not the primary identity of children of God. Please hear that. Because we talk about sin. We're broken people. We're sinful people. Sometimes I think we overemphasize sin. And we think sin is our primary identity. No, no, no. Sin is often our behavior. Saint is our primary identity. Saint describes who we are. Sin describes what we do, hopefully on a decreasing basis. And there will be a day, listen to this, there will be a day where who we are as saint and what we do as saint are the same. We're not there yet, right? But we get letters like this from apostles like Paul so that we can grow into that kind of maturity. So the first thing we gotta know, oh, those were good quotes. One of the tragic impacts of sin is that we find our identity apart from our creator. Sin is not our identity, but saint is. So the first thing we know is uh, who are you going to learn from? Second thing we need to know is who you are. Third, we gotta know who our family is. Who your family, who your family is. So this is all over the New Testament. It's all over this particular book, right? So Timothy, our brother, um, faithful brothers, grace you and peace from God, our father. All of this is language of family. It's language that brings us into an understanding of who our spiritual family is. As God has declared us as saints, he's made us part of his family. And as we sojourn on planet earth, we have a family that we get to be part of. And, and I've heard this language of like, you know, people calling each other like brother, right? I hear that in church. I've heard that, right? Hey, brother, right? You hear that sometimes, maybe a little bit weird, right? But we also hear it in biological, right? That's my brother, that's my sister. I also hear it uh, among military. Have you ever noticed that? Like among military or police, they, they will use this sense of brother. I, I was thinking about that this week as I came across this. And I think it has to do with the fact that when you're in those environments, you actually put your life in someone else's hands. And it creates a degree of intimacy that isn't often found uh, in, in different other work environments, right? And so as we are called family and we are brothers, there is a, there's a unique intensity about, about this thing that we are trying to live out. Uh, there's a unique intensity about the war that we are in. 
So we need to know who uh, we need to know who our family is. In each in each of Paul's writings, right? I told you he wrote thirteen different letters. Uh, in I think it's all of them. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's all of them. There is at some point in that letter what's called a household code, right? Where it's Paul is giving specific directions of how we are to love one another, right? When Jesus was in the garden before his death, he prayed about how well we would love one another. Why do you think that is? Why do you think in every letter Paul wrote, when Jesus was on his last night uh, uh, before his crucifixion, he's praying over this theme of, of loving one another and being family together? Why do you think that is? I think it's two things. I think one, it's because it's a big priority for God. Right? He wants us to live, Jesus as our brother. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our father. He wants us to live in this new family. I also think he has to pray over it. He has to teach us again and again because it's not natural for us. Like we, loving each other well just doesn't come naturally. It doesn't. We have to, we have to work at it. Like my natural disposition is to prefer me not you. Some people are like, oh, they're so good at loving other people. Maybe they just work at it harder than you do. Right? Like we have to work at loving each other well. We have to work at being family. And it is a high priority for King Jesus. It's a high priority for the Apostle Paul. Therefore, it needs to be a high priority for us. We have to work at it, church. Like we have to be willing to have the uncomfortable conversations because the body of Christ is worth it because your family needs to stay together. But it's hard. You know why it's hard? Because you and I, are, our disposition is selfish. I um, have the opportunity to serve on the ethics committee uh, at Inspira. And so on the ethics committee, that's usually when there's a very difficult medical case and it comes before the ethics committee and they weigh the different options, they talk to different family members, and then they make recommendations of how to proceed. Usually if something pops up to the ethics committee, it's, it's, a, rough, it's a rough case. And so I remember going into this ethics committee meeting and uh, you have to sign in so they can know which departments were represented and it's you know, interdisciplinary, so you know, I represent spiritual care, uh, there's people that represent medical. There's people that represent, you know, all, all interested parties. So we sign in, and the clipboard is in front of me. So they, the moderator asked me to, to sign in and pass the clipboard around. So I grab the clipboard, pull out my pen, which is a Pilot gel pen, two. Uh, it is a .7 tip. That's my favorite kind, right? So I sign my name on it, and I go to pass the clipboard and put my pen in my pocket because it's my pen, right? And the person next to me is like, oh, can I, can I use your pen? I, there's not, I don't have a pen. I'm like, um, but it's my Pilot gel pen, 0.7. So I, you know, I reluctantly hand it over. And um, so they, they start talking about the case and I see that person finish. And so I go to grab my pen back and they pass it, the clipboard and my pen to the next person. So now they're talking about this very, <clears throat> difficult case, and I'm like, where's my pen? Where? He's got, I think he's putting my pen in his pocket. And my pen is like traveling around the room, and I get to the point, I'm like, Greg, you are one selfish idiot. 
Like, this is going on here, right? This situation is happening to these poor people and you're worried about your pen, right? It gave me insight into just how selfish I can be, even in, in relationship to very difficult situations, we can turn that into something about us. So the reality is we're, we're selfish people. We're broken people. So in order for us to love each other well, we're gonna have to work at it. We gotta acknowledge our, our weaknesses, our preferences for ourselves, and then work hard at loving someone else. But the good news is, you have a father that is committed to training you. You have a father that sets your identity not as selfish, but as saint. And you have a father that is extravagant in his love for you. So what do we gotta know? We gotta know who we're going to learn from. We gotta know who you are, who we are. We gotta know who our family is. And then ultimately we gotta know what is the point? Like where is all of this, where is all of this going? Here's the point. The point is grace to you and peace. That's the point. Where all of this is going is that you would experience the grace of God. Now, the grace of God is the key concept for the people of God, which establishes their standing or their identity before God. So if God's going to make us a saint, if that is our identity, that's not based on my merit, it's based solely on grace. So where this is going is we get to increase in our experience of the grace of God. Right, so Max Lucado, Max Lucado said this, and uh, the Apostle Paul never seems to exhaust the topic of grace. Talks about it in all of his writing. What makes us think we can? He just keeps coming at it and coming at it from a different angle. That's the thing about grace. It's like springtime. You can't put it in a single sentence definition and you can't exhaust it. Like the grace of God is inexhaustible because God himself is inexhaustible. So what he shares with us, there's no end. But here's the thing about grace. Right, it is grace to you. And what happens is as we are recipients of God's grace, we therefore start to experience peace. The grace of God leads us to experience the shalom or the peace of God. If you remember, one of the names of Jesus as he would come was the Prince of Peace. In Luke chapter two, when the angels when they burst onto the scene, they declare glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And when we say on earth peace, I don't mean the absence of strife. I don't mean the absence of struggle. What we're talking about with shalom or peace of God is wholeness, right? So what God is doing is he's leading us to an experience of the grace of God Right, which as we know the grace of God, then we get to be equipped in the fullness of God. Spiritual, physical wholeness is what characterizes our future. That's where we are going. The letter Paul is writing is designed to be a means, a vehicle,
vehicle for the grace of God. And when we receive the grace of God, that leads us to an experience of the shalom of God. It will grow us into the wholeness that God has in store for us. Peace will be ours, just like it was designed to be uh, the church of Colossians. Peace will be found as we move towards maturity. As we get to know the majesty of the greatness of God, as we get to know the majesty of Jesus and we say yes to his leadership, we will in increments start to experience more and more peace. That'll fly in the face of a lot of your experiences. Because a lot of times what we don't experience, we don't feel peace, we don't experience peace, but that's because we're not believing the grace of God for us. So as we live in and believe in the grace of God, what does he have for us? While we believe that, then we have an increase of peace. We have an increase of wholeness. And the truth is we're not only going to be recipients of peace as we experience more and more the grace of God, but we will also be agents of peace. And you've seen this happen in your life. As you have been willing to follow God, you've stepped into circumstances and you've been able to speak and waves die down. You've been able to bring peace into someone else's storm by you showing up. As a recipient of God's grace, you experience peace and then you offer that peace to others. All right, so those are the four things as Paul introduces us to this letter that he thinks we need to know in order for us to grow towards maturity is we have to know who are we going to learn from. We have to know who we are. We have to know who is our family. And ultimately, we've got to be focused on where is all of this going? What is the point of all of this? And the point is grace and peace. So we're gonna take communion and uh, the people are gonna be up here to, to serve communion. I'm not exactly sure how the stations will be. I think we'll have one in the back. Uh, but here's what I want you to think about uh, as we do the various themes or as we focus on communion. Paul has been pointing us back to being in him, right? To being in Jesus. So, so the apostle Paul is pointing our attention to uh, our identity in Christ. Well, the, the bread and the cup represent how that identity is established, right? We are in Christ because of what happened at the cross. And what happened at the cross was his blood was shed and his body was broken. So at the cross, our identity is set as saints because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's what the blood of Christ does. So as you, as you move towards the cup this morning, I want you to think this cup is a new covenant. It is a new relationship between me and God where I am a saint because forgiveness of, is mine based on the fact that Jesus shed his blood so I don't have to. And then I also want you to think about that cup. Everyone in this room is moving towards the same cup of Christ, the same blood of Christ by which we become saints. And in that, we have a greater connection than we would biologically with each other. We are one in Christ Jesus. We are one family. 
And then I want you to think about the fact that the bread represents the, the body of Christ that's being broken, right? And the body of Christ being broken means grace and peace can be yours. That the offense that God had against you is diverted away from you onto Jesus. His body is broken. God is satisfied with that punishment. And so he is now pleased with you. You can have peace with God because Jesus' body is broken. All right, so yeah, please come on up. Get in, get in place, those that are serving communion. So what I wanna do is I wanna ask you to stand up So you don't have to be a member of Living Faith Alliance Church to take communion with us. But what you do based on what the Apostle Paul tells us in other portions of Scripture, right, is to consider the body. And if this morning you have considered the body of Christ and you say, I, I want to follow what Jesus has for me. I, I want to align myself with him. I want to be called a saint based on what Jesus has done, not based on my works. I, I receive the forgiveness. Like if you're recognizing that your reconciliation with God is based solely on the work of Jesus, please join us. Maybe you're recognizing that for the first time today. But you walking towards this station, of this communion station, you taking the bread, dipping it in the cup is a sign of your faith. And that's what Chris prayed for us earlier. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving us the gift of, of the apostle Paul that he could point us to you, that, that he could lead us to, to get to know you and how you set our identity, you, you make us part of your family, and then you give us a future hope that there will be grace upon grace, which will lead us to shalom, which will lead us to wholeness and peace. And so as we take communion this morning, we take it as a sign of faith in Jesus and in what he has accomplished on our behalf. And so for his glory, I pray, amen. Amen. So go ahead, take a few moments and make your way to one of the communion stations. What can wash away the guilty stain after all the wrong I've done? I've already tried. It's never been enough. What could overcome? Nothing but the blood. A better word was spoken. Oh, I know it was nothing but the blood. Every curse was broken, oh, I know it was nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood.
Stand and sing this together.
and we just sang as a declaration that we will build our lives on the truth of Christ because he's a firm foundation. For that to happen, we have to get rid of false foundations. We've got to stop building things on lies. We have to root those out. We have to get rid of that. That's one of those things. So I don't know if you picked up on that theme of this service. Uh, I got to be honest with you, it was not planned. It's something God has shown us each service today is there's a theme of identity that he's trying to speak to us as a church. And it's an identity that's rooted in him, not in performance, not in working it out yourself, not in making yourself great in some way, but by humbling yourself before him. That's a word for everybody. Because if he says that's who you are, that should be undoubtable. It should be undisputed. It should be uncompromised. Because God is not one that he would lie to you. So if he says it, cherish it, believe it, put your faith in it. Because he is the one that can bring that to reality. So I want to encourage you to do that. Focus on that. Go after this theme of who God says you are. So I'm going to have people, they're going to come. They've been trained in how to pray for you. This might be a significant area. I mean, I can tell you, I'm, I'm in my early 40s. And there are times in my life that the theme of identity has come up and I've thought, man, I thought I had that settled a long time ago. It's a challenge. It's a constant fight. Because you can get sucked into lies that will steal your identity away. As Greg said, you'll be defined by the wrong things. To be defined by Jesus, by his grace. So those people are going to come. You'll have an opportunity to come and pray. And I would say to you, if you're questioning that, you need a longer conversation, jump in Alpha with me. We'll walk you through that. We'll give you a chance to ask questions, to process it out. I would love for you to come and join that. It would be an excellent opportunity for you to do that. Uh, you can give me your Connect cards at the, the back when we're done too. But I want to I pray this theme of identity over you. We read it from John earlier, but he says, to those who received him, to those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. Step into that. So let me pray. Jesus, you're speaking something very strong to us. And I want to pray that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to receive it. And God, I want to pray that the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the rocks and thorns that could steal roots away on this truth, God, that you would clear those out of our hearts today, that you would really make our hearts a good place for the truth to grow. We can't do that on our own. So God, would you do that for your church today? Remove the obstacles. Let us begin this new year with a very clear and present reality, an anchor for our soul that, Jesus, you call us your children. So, God, I pray that that will take root in us. Let us go into this week, into this month, praying, God, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your spirit. We would know your will. We would know that you call us saints if we have faith in you. So let that be an encouragement to us today, God. Strengthen us for this week. We pray in your name. Amen. May God bless you guys as you go. If you want to come receive prayer, come and do that. Uh, otherwise, I'll see you out back.